You're listening to the Jim Bradford Podcast, conversations on faith, life, and leadership. I'm your host, Chase Replogle. Today's episode is our final conversation in this series of conversations looking at Paul's first letter to Timothy. In today's episode, we take a look at Paul's final charge and encouragement to Timothy. Paul urges Timothy to press on, to fight the good fight, to avoid endless controversy, and to avoid sin. We discuss the importance of holiness and how worship is key to that endurance. And Pastor Jim looks at these final encouragements, as well as the major theme of the letter, what it is Paul is saying overall to Timothy. It'll be an encouragement to you, a wrap-up to what's been a lot of encouragement, and I hope help for your ministry as well, too. As always, thanks for listening. Well, Jim, grateful for another opportunity to sit down together, and uh, this is an important conversation because it's our last conversation through First Timothy. We've covered so much. I found it, uh, you know, I was obviously familiar with First Timothy, but what a gift it's been to just spend this time working verse by verse through the book. Um, I found it fascinating in, in new ways and challenging in new ways, and really, really grateful for this yeah. series of conversations. Thanks, Chase. So have I. Um, it's been a it's just been a, a rich experience. It's the first of the three, what we call pastoral epistles in the New Testament, because it's First uh, and Second Timothy, and then the letter to Titus. It's it's um, unlike most of Paul's letters that are, that are, like we say Ephesians. That's because it's a letter to the Church of Ephesus, Philippians to the Church of Philippi. Um, this is unique because it's written to three pastors or two pastors, the three the three pastoral epistles and uh, you and I are pastors, but I really pray. I mean, I trust people. We have people aren't pastors who listen to the podcast and I trust they'll be, you know, God's word is always amazing. It's inexhaustible. And, and even though all of our listeners may not be pastors, we're trying to be spiritual influencers and, and God's word has so many crossover applications to so many areas of our life. I'm hoping people have been experiencing that. I certainly have. I know after the last podcast, we were just reminiscing. I, I think I felt like the Lord actually spoke to me about something myself. And uh, so anyway. Yeah. it. Uh, one of the things that's impressed me so much about these letters is how personal they are. Yes. Uh, I've even found, you know, this, you and I both feel really strongly about, uh, we talked previously in chapter four, Paul's advice to watch your life and doctrine closely. I mean, that's been central in a lot of conversations. I write about it in, in my book as well, too. It's just been really important. But I often will will point out when I'm talking about that passage that unlike Paul writing to a church at Rome where he's not met many of them or Corinth where it's a whole community, many churches probably, he is writing to a single individual, a person that he knows so well, and an individual tasked with an incredibly hard job, a hard responsibility. Yes. So it was not entirely surprising, as I was rereading chapter 6, that when Paul gets to the end, in many ways he ties this letter up by an encouragement to Timothy mm-hmm. and by seeing potential in Timothy, right. which I found really moving to read again, too, how personal these words are and how optimistic Paul's poten- view of Timothy's potential is. Isn't it wonderful to have mentors in our lives that still see a future for us that's unrealized and st- still see more in us than has been drawn out yet? And that's a great gift to have a mentor like that. And uh, I had a mentor like that who just passed away a few weeks ago. And uh, um, 
but I'm, I'm eternally grateful for the 30 years he was in my life doing that. And I hope Timothy, towards the end of his life, we think Timothy was eventually martyred, but um, I hope by the time he died, he was eternally grateful. Paul would have got on him before him, I think, but uh, he would have been grateful for a guy like Paul in his life who just saw potential in him, picked him out of the crowd in that town of Lystra and took him with him as a young guy who was well-spoken of. Uh, we're told in Acts 16, Timothy was well-spoken of. Paul brought him under his tutelage. Timothy became his traveling partner to the place where he's actually giving him assignments to go and fix problems in the churches that Paul had previously started himself. And, uh, and, 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 and just to have a guy who just like Timothy, just to have a guy like Paul who just kept believing in him, kept knowing he, he'd be up to the job and, and even would conclude a letter to him by saying, I, I do, in so many words, I believe in you and you know, just keep going. Yeah, because we saw last week, we kind of went chapter by chapter through some of these challenges that oh. Timothy's up against. And it would be it would be easy for Timothy reading this letter to feel really down at the end. Like, I am not I am not equipped to deal with all these things. You're <laughs> reminding me, although I'm keenly aware of our reality where I'm serving. Well, we were, we're, we're believes kind, in him. Yeah, he believes in him. Yeah, I, we were kind of laughing in chapter five where where he refers to Paul's stomach, or Paul refers to Timothy's stomach problems. Yeah. <laughs> the poor guy had massive stress, you know, but he still believes in him. Yeah. He also calls Timothy in the end to holiness, to purity, that he should be careful yes. about sin. That also strikes me as an interesting thing. This is not just at the end a, hey, no matter what, you got this, you know, I believe in you. There is a real sense of encouragement, but there's also a call just sobriety to holiness, to seriousness in the task. I think that's an important sort of side piece to this too, that I know for myself, thinking about those kind of mentor relationships, man, isn't that actually just as valuable? Not just I believe in you, but also be yeah. pure, be holy. This Stay is worth holy. doing. Take yeah. this seriously. Right. You know, sometimes uh, we get pretty entranced by all the sophisticated leadership out there. And then we read something like this and, kind of yawn, you know, to be honest, and go, how basic. But I don't know. I'm changing my mind about how basic all that stuff is. I I read three three days ago, I read about another global uh, church leader. I mean, he has a movement that's gone global. He's now serious accusations of impropriety with the opposite sex and sexual harassment. And I'm going, when is this going to stop? And, you know, it's giving me all new sympathy for, for don't sin. Yeah. I'm sitting across with you, Chase. Don't sin. And I hope you look at me in the eye and you keep telling me don't sin. Yeah. I mean, I mean, what we could lose everything we built lifetimes to build just by um, disregarding that simple call to Timothy. Just keep your life right. I have felt this increasingly as as I've been in ministry too, and that, you know, I'll say it sort of frankly, you know, I, uh, I did not grow up in the real holiness movement part of our movement. I kind of grew up in the, 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 the post-holiness movement. Yeah, that, that's not quite fair language, but we were watching movies and we were allowed to dance. So we were some of the things that in the past, you know, that we may roll our eyes at. 
But I look back on some of those early men and women in our movement and how serious they were about their holiness. And I actually find myself increasingly respectful of that and increasingly feeling like I need to draw some firm lines. And we're not talking about just just blatant and obvious sin, but but a level of seriousness around the temptation of sin that I need to draw clear lines in my life that are distinct from this world. I actually find that that desire in me being stronger than maybe it's been before. Yeah. I I love hearing that, Jace. I, I, I worry about that internally. Um because I grew up a little stricter background than you did. Mm-hmm. I mean we didn't go to movies and we didn't dance. And yeah, we you were really that generation right. before yeah. I'm Yeah, and uh, yeah that generation came out of the fires of Pentecost in the early twentieth century. And I was born in the middle of the 20th century and, and it, it, it did degrade into legalism at some point, but it was birthed, however, out of a sincere desire to be separate from a world system that corrupted people and took away their passion and zeal for Jesus. And um, just like the Pharisees, you know, they started out really well-intentioned. They were, they were a protest movement against the corruption of the priesthood, but uh, they took the commands of God so seriously, like Sabbath, that they built a whole bunch of other rules around it. So you didn't even come close to breaking the, t- you know, that Sabbath commandment and the Ten Commandments. And sometimes, you know, we probably overdid it a little bit. We, we, we just surrounded, surrounded. Being what it meant to be separated to God, sanctified, separate from the world. We surrounded it with so many things to not even let us get close to the world that some of those things did become legalism. And I remember as a kid, as a teenager especially, I saw some of my friends really rebelling against the legalism, what you might call legalism. Like, And so our youth meetings was, well, why can't we go to movies? Well, why can't we go to dances? Well, why can't we do this and that? And I don't know, the Lord, I think, kind of helped me just decide that I needed to reframe this discussion. It's not do's and don'ts. It has to do with my passions and my cravings and what am I feeding inside of me and what you feed grows in you. So it's not like, well, I might miss the rapture if Jesus comes while I'm sitting in a movie theater. It's what am I watching and what is it feeding in me? And is it feeding Christ-likeness in me? Is it feeding holiness and zeal for the kingdom in me? There's nothing wrong with normal entertainment, sometimes just emotionally healthy. If it's feeding me emotionally, like an emotionally healthy thing, it's fine. But the question had to go beyond do's and don'ts that sometimes get associated with holiness to to what what am I feeding inside of me? My affections. I I talk about our affections to the church I pastor a lot more than I used to because I think there's such a battle for our affections. And um, But we threw out sort of the rules and this quote-unquote legalism and I worry we're far too careless with our affections now. We're far too careless with, with the whole idea of holiness anymore. I wish we were living. 
I wish everybody was talking like you are, Chase. You know, I'm just trying to be a little stricter with myself. I'm, I'm trying to be careful with what I expose myself to. And it's not like I'm this legalistic prude, but I do know my heart. Yeah. And I know if I feed the wrong things, who knows what could happen to me? Yeah, and I want to be really careful. I don't think I'm an example of this by any means, but I do sense more and more God has work for me to do, and God yes. has a calling on me. And right. if that means for the sake of doing that well, I make some personal— I'm not even saying that everybody should make those same sacrifices, right. but I want there to be— I do want to draw lines, no, stricter lines in my life. Exactly. Um, Paul calls this in this chapter— a good fight. And I think that language is important too, because that's kind of what we're describing here, right? It's not that there is something, there's effort that goes into this. There's struggle that goes into this. There's intentionality that goes into it. This idea of persevering as a, as a fight in this work. Yeah. You know, if you're not fight fighting with your priorities, you're probably drifting. If you're not fighting, uh, to keep your affections on the right things, you're probably just drifting. It is a fight, and um, probably the way scholars believe, probably the way Paul used that word fight here would have had more to do with the athletic games and the military. Uh, And in the athletic metaphors that he would sometimes call on, he would say, you know, I'm training myself. Everyone who is in training, he would say, like in First Corinthians, everyone who in training. I mean, they learn to say no to some things uh, because they want to win the crown. They want to win the prize. They want to win the race. They want to win the wrestling match, the fight. And, uh, and so you indulge in a level of self-denial for the sake of the larger objective of winning the fight. And so, um, and so I, I think it's not only a, a fight just with priorities and affections, but our, our calling, I think, to serve Jesus demands that we deny ourselves certain things. We don't get to get whatever we want. We don't, we don't even get to people treat us the way we deserve. I mean, we, we lay aside lesser things to follow the greater. That's the example of Jesus. Even the anointing oil in the Old Testament, when it was poured upon prophets, priests, and kings, it did two things. It did empower them. So they had unusual wisdom, or the prophets could perform miracles. I mean, they had supernatural power, or the prof- or, um, and they could prophesy when the Spirit of God came on them. But the other, the other significance, and even greater significance of the anointing, is that it set them apart to God's purposes. And once you were anointed, you could no longer live for yourself. You no longer lived as if your life belonged to you anymore. You were set apart for the purposes of God, which is sanctification or holiness. Holiness means holy means set apart. Yeah, I like and, to think about the like the utensils in the temple as being holy. Well, yeah, what makes a fork yeah, holy? Yeah. Well, because it was set aside for a specific purpose. You're right. not taking it home and using it on dinner. This no. this has been yeah. set aside for something right. holy for God. It didn't have what you'd call common use. Yeah. It was set aside for the service of God. And to see our lives set aside for the service of God, which means we have uh, we have left other things to be set aside to him. We don't, you know, we don't, we don't have all the rights and privileges that people 
who definitely people who don't live for Christ have maybe, I mean, but especially those of us who have a really specific calling with all our lives to serve the Lord in vocational ministry. Um, I do believe we're not necessarily better than other people, but we do have a set aside calling. I set aside an engineering career. I set aside a large salary for living by faith where I barely had enough money from month to month, but God at least got me through, you know, but I knew I could have been making a big salary that year if I was an engineer. I mean, but I felt like God asked me to set that aside to be set apart for the work he wanted me to do in starting a new church. And so, um, uh, I think I, I look at that. I mean, they're, they're just places I would never go in Springfield. You know, maybe if I wasn't a pastor to be okay, but I just know I'm a pastor. So there's places I don't, I don't go. There's things I don't do. There's places I'd not want to be seen because of the associations. Um, my life is set apart to honor him. And, uh, Part of that is just the reality of being set apart to Jesus for his call. And part of it is just the reality of knowing myself too well. There's some places I just don't want to go because I don't know if I trust myself. So we're just set apart. And and holiness is a beautiful thing. If he could just give us a passion for purity and a hunger for his holiness and, and not love the world so much that we just got to be like the world. We've got to have everything the world offers plus everything that God's call would require of me. I, I don't think you can have both. Paul's wrapping up his advice to Timothy in these. You feel it as he's coming to the end of this chapter. As you look back on all of our time, weeks we've spent having these conversations, several chapters, are there major takeaways you have that that led you? I know you write on these pastoral epistles because they've been so valuable to you in the past. I know you love these scriptures. Um, things that you would sort of sum up like Paul's doing and say, boy, this is really what I love about First Timothy. Um. Okay, I'm going to start by circling around to where you kind of started today. There's hope for the young guys, <laughs> really hope for the young. I take great hope. And I have, I have my moments where I live in delusion and I still feel young in spite of my age. Um, but I still feel young. Like yesterday I got up and I just felt like I felt energy and I felt good and I felt young. And um, And I still want to think I've got a future too. So... I still want to put myself in the category of one of the young guys who hasn't reached his potential yet. I hope the best sermon I preach is still in my future. I, I hope the best accomplishments of the church I pastor are still in the future. They're not in the rearview rear mirror. So I just love this. There's hope for the young guys. He really trusts a young guy in a really difficult, head-scratching spiritual environment. He He said, go and correct all that false doctrine. You're going to have to stand up to loudmouths who think you're you're too young to be their pastor. You're going to have to you're going to have to hold, bridle yourself so you don't get drawn into all these quarrels. You're going to have to take some people out of leadership. You're going to have to rebuke older people and elders in front of everybody. You're going to have to have the wisdom to find new people to put into leadership. He does all this, and he actually, Paul actually trusts Timothy to be able to do that. So I love this. Yeah, I really want to see young guys and gals raised up in, in leadership. That's one of my takeaways from Timothy. You know, yay for the young folks, the young leaders that God's raising up. I mean, Paul really, really trusts Timothy with a lot here. And um, 
and he's not unaware or unsympathetic that it's taking a toll on Timothy, but even his health, but um, yay for the young folks rising up. Also, there's a beauty to the gospel I keep encountering here. All these distractions, all these sensational extremes that come into the religious world, we have our own versions of them today, whether it be the hyper-faith movement or whether they be today the politicization of the evangelical movement or uh, or, or whether they be, um, you, you know, some of the real kind of social justice emphases that are not just coming alongside the proclamation of the gospel, which is great, but are replacing a verbalized evangelical gospel proclamation. Um, you know, um, Timothy, First Timothy keeps bringing me back to the simplicity and purity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's, it's amazing. And the other big thing I take away from Timothy, First Timothy, is courage. Courage. Um, you know, so many times he just, like when he just changes the subject in middle of chapter four and zooms in on Timothy himself. He just say, now, Timothy, I know people think you're too young, but don't let them do that to you inside. You know, realize that you still have huge influence if you just keep loving people and you'll let your your conversation and your conduct be exemplary of the gospel. And and don't let things that are a threat to the gospel enter into your life. And um, don't forget the anointing of the Holy Spirit that's on you so that you can you can stay true to the gospel and keep paying a close attention to your life and to your doctrine because because it's the gospel that's at stake. And this very high view of the gospel that Paul has um, is something we could afford to retrieve in the American evangelical world today. It's, it's something I, I, I want to keep championing in my own personal ministry, a high view of the gospel and the centrality of Jesus and the life-transforming power of the grace of Jesus and uh, the mission of Jesus to take the gospel to the world. I mean, all of this gets underscored for me yeah. in Timothy. I was struck reading the conclusion how, once again, this is a pattern of Paul's. He's wrapping up, but he finds himself sort of breaking out in worship in the very middle of oh, a yeah. thought. You get in the middle of chapter 6, and he writes, he mentions Lord Jesus Christ, and as if writing the name just explodes him into worship, he goes on to say, He who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. I think it's a powerful example Amen. of Paul. Christ is so central, so important, so valuable, that Paul can barely speak his name without bursting out into worship. It's unbelievable. And he just finished saying, so Timothy, keep, hold on, yeah. you know, to the command of God over your life. And then he just goes, he just goes out there on Jesus. And this is the center of it all. And he just has his praise break. He just worships and it's amazing. <laughs> Paul can be so challenging at times in his oh, writings. Yeah, he can know. be so hard sometimes in his writing, but but there's so much in this letter, and even in this moment here at the end, where I find Paul so encouraging and inspiring. Yeah. God 
give me a relationship mm-hmm. with you. Yeah, like that. That when I hear your name, I can't help but my mouth Amen. explode in worship like that. I would oh, Jesus do it. Yeah. Us. Maybe yeah. we could close with that in prayer yeah. as a way of wrapping up. Exactly. I mean, that is in so many ways his advice to, to Timothy is keep going. Yeah. Keep hold of the gospel. Stay focused. Be serious about sin. You can do this. Christ is with you. Um, that Jesus would be that for us too. Yeah. Lord Jesus, thank you for this. Thank you for the beauty of who you are. Thank you, Lord. Just like Paul said, you are, you are the Lord. You are the King of Kings. You are the only ruler. You're blessed. You're immortal. You're, you dwell in unapproachable light. Your glory is overwhelming and you deserve honor and might forever. My God, we love you. We honor you, Jesus, to whatever degree we've loved leading more than we've loved you. Forgive us, Lord, for whatever degree some of the sensational dimensions of doctrinal extremes have become more alluring than simply the beauty of you. Forgive us, Lord Jesus. For wherever, Lord, we just become discouraged and disheartened with trying to keep true to the calling, but we've lost sight of the compelling beauty of you at the heart of our lives. You're the one we're doing this for. No one is like you. No one is glorious or beautiful like you are. You are the creator. You are the word of creation at the beginning. You are the word incarnate in the midst of history. And you are the living word as the warrior on the white horse returning again at the end of history. And there is no one like you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for who you are. And we pray that, like Paul did, Lord, you will have that central, passionate place in our lives, that we we will love you with all of our hearts. We'll not lose our first love. Lord, it will not let what you called us to do erode the vision of your beauty. And God, I pray that in our ministries, we'll just be supremely aware of your presence. May your presence be real to us like never before. Even as we gather with our churches this weekend, perhaps, or our small groups, we pray that we will experience the glory of Christ and the glory of Christ, his transforming presence and beauty. May it mark our services, our lives, our disposition. May we find our contentment in you and our strength in you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are our life and we worship you and we honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You've been listening to the Jim Bradford Podcast. We would uh, really appreciate it if you would take the time to leave us some feedback on the show. You can do that by leaving a rating or by typing out a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, we hope you might consider subscribing to the show. We're looking forward to a lot of the conversations to come in the weeks ahead, and it would mean a lot to us if you'd be a part of those. If you have questions or topics that you'd like to ask Pastor Jim to hear him cover, we'd appreciate it if you'd take the time to send those in. You can do that by email by going to questions at jimbradford.org. We'd love to be able to take a look at those and get them featured on the podcast. As always, thanks for listening. Until next time.